reading Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 from the Message Version. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way of all those veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. And he could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there, in the place of honor, right alongside God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for his word. Wow. Dusty, that moved me. <laughs> but what am I doing up here? Um, Dusty asked me to do this, and I, I immediately channeled my inner Moses, and I began making excuses as to why I would not be a good person to be up here. Um, and I, used, I tried to use them all. And I, I ended up with, you know, it's been 20 plus years since I've been up here. Um, and, and Dusty looked at me when I said that and he, he simply said, it's just like riding a bike. <laughs> well, I've had some pretty incredible crashes on my bike, so let's hope that doesn't happen today. Um, a lot of you know me. Um, my name's Kurt Toll. That's my wife, Kelly. Um, we have two amazing children uh, Devin and Anna, they're twins. Um, in a few days, they're going to turn 31, which, man, that's really hard for me to say that my kids are turning 31. Um, uh, Anna is married to Jong, and they have blessed us with a beautiful granddaughter, Naomi. And Devin is married to Anna, not his sister, okay? <laughs> Um, and I'll repeat that for you one more time. We have two children, Devin and Anna. Anna is married to Jong, and they have a daughter, Naomi, and they live in China. Devin is married to Anna, and they live in Colorado. And yes, it does get really confusing for us as a family sometimes. The other thing I want to tell you is this, and a lot of you know this, and some of you, but some of you might not know this. Um, from, from about 1991 to 2001, I was a youth minister here at Community Christian Church, and so... Um, when it came time to talk about CIY, um, I was really happy to be involved in this. Um, and I, I, I really have a purpose up here today. And, and my purpose is very simply this. I want to speak into your life. Um, I'm not any great expert. Um, I've really been out of the game, as I call it, out of being in ministry for, for quite a while. I work for the school district now, and I work with um, at-risk students, and I really enjoy that. But I want to speak into your life, and I, I want to make something happen today to move you closer to following Jesus. And that's something that's been said from the stage a lot of times over the past several months, and it's really stuck, to, stuck with me, is that this is a safe place where we want to try to move, each time we meet here, move closer to following Jesus. And so that's what I want to do today. Um, I'm actually going to kind of have two separate little messages here today. I want to talk to you about CIY because I really, really love CIY. I believe in CIY. Um, 
as Dusty alluded to, I've been going to CIY for a long time. Um, I think, and I, I can't verify this for sure, but I think this summer when I, I go to CIY again with our students, it will be my 27th year to be at a CIY conference in the summertime. And uh, no, don't do that. It's, it's amazing that I feel like I grow as much as the kids do every year that I go to CIY. It's a great event. Um, I just want to, you know, that first summer in 1991, um, we took, um, I think, around 12 or 15 students. Billy Joe Drake went with us, and we, I have some great memories that I won't share from the stage today of, of Billy Joe and some things. But it, it's been awesome. I, I still do, believe it or not, hanging in my closet, I have the CIY t-shirt from 1991. And I got it out, and I was going to wear it, but it's an extra large, and it just seemed huge. And I thought, I can't wear a t-shirt that's that big. So I didn't. But um, I, we contacted CIY in the past couple of weeks, and they estimated that 6,000 students attended their conferences that summer in 1991. Uh, they really hadn't been keeping records back then. They didn't start doing that till 1995. And in 1995, they had 12 events and estimated that 10,132 people attended their events that summer. Um, fast forward to last summer, 2017, they had 105 events and over 77,000 students and adults attended their events. And they have, they have broadened their scope. It started out mainly being high school students. Um, they now reach out to grade school, middle school, high school students. They do missions trips. They've done um, international conferences over the years. They've done so many things. It is truly a ministry that has been blessed by God. And it has been a ministry that has truly um, had a huge impact on this church and bless this church. I want to tell you just a couple stories. Um, one of my uh, first memories of a CIY conference was a year that Dusty was the youth minister at Countryside Christian Church in Pittsburgh, and somehow we connected. I don't remember how all this happened, but we connected, and we were going to go to uh, the conference together, go to Bolivar, Missouri, and we, at that time, had a, a great big old blue church bus that we had bought from a school district in uh, Leon Stark, I believe, painted it blue, did a great job on it. And so we all loaded up on the bus, and we headed down to Pittsburgh and picked up Dusty's group. And I remember seeing this tall, skinny kid get on the bus. And he went to the back of the bus, and he was kind of interacting with our kids. And I, I just immediately looked at him, and I thought, man, that, that kid's probably a, a leader in Dusty's group. And I got to know him a little bit over the week at CIY, and you'll never guess who that tall, skinny kid was. Paul Martin, you're right. You did. You could guess. And, and I got to know Paul a little bit that week, and I was so impressed with him as a young Christian man and the things that he talked about and the things that were on his heart. And you guys all know the rest of the story. Paul went to Ozark. Uh, we hired him as our summer intern, and I think it was before his senior year. And, and we were so impressed with him that we hired him as a part-time staff person for that school year that he was at Ozark. And after that, we hired him as a full-time staff member here. And you know that story. Um, that's a great memory from a CIY conference for me. Um, I'm a rock. <laughs> I am a rock. Um, the next one's pretty personal. 
give me just a minute, because I am a rock. We were at a conference in um, Tahlequah, Oklahoma in 1998. And it was the last day of the conference. How am I going to do this, Kelly? <laughs> um, and before the main session that night, uh, they were just kind of doing a promo for their missions trips. And, and whoever had been watching Devin and Anna that week brought them to the conference. And so they were there. They were 11. And... Um, Anna was sitting there and listening to this promo about missions trips. And I remember being behind her. And when it was over, there were CIY interns. And I'm going to get over this. Just bear with me. Dang it. Sorry, I said that in church. <laughs> But there were, there were interns coming through the crowd and they were handing out cards that had information about CIY missions trips. And uh, they came by where Anna was and Anna asked if she could have a card. And, and the, the intern said to Anna, well, you have to be 16 to go. And Anna said, that's okay, could I have one anyway? And I remember her taking that and looking at it very carefully and shoving it in her Bible, closing it. And I think I knew at that moment what was going to happen. Sure enough, five years later, when she turned 16, we contacted CIY, and, and Anna went to Ecuador that summer. And the next summer, and then she went to Mexico, and then she went to MCC and got a, a degree in cross-cultural missions. Wow, this is gonna be long. And then, she spent the last nine years in China, in a country of over a billion people, trying to tell them about Jesus. And that's partly due to what CIY has done. And I could tell you, I could tell you countless, countless stories of students and adults, decisions that have been made at CIY to follow Jesus, to go into ministry, to repent, to be kingdom workers. Uh, just incredible fun that we've had. Rafting, climbing mountains. Just unbelievable stories. And, and I have taken way too much time on this part already today. But I want to say this. I want to speak to students first. If you're in the eighth grade or a senior in high school, those grades... Um, you need to go. It's just that simple. There, there should be no excuse. If you're, if you're a high school student, you need to go. It can, and, and I, I, I'm almost sure of this, it will change your life for all eternity. And then I want to talk to you parents. And, you know, I, I debated how I wanted to say this. And uh, at one point I said to Kelly, should I just say... You need to make your students go to CIY. Yes. I, I really believe it's that important that your students get this opportunity to go. July 1st through July 7th, 
make sure they sign up, make sure they go. It's the, it's, it can be that important. I think CIY, one of the greatest things they do is they present opportunities for students to see Jesus. And that's what I'm here to talk to you mainly about today, is seeing Jesus. Um, and I want to tell you a story to kind of set up where we're going to go today. Marcy, would you put that first slide up there? September of last year, Kelly and I got one of the greatest opportunities of our lives. Um, because of what Devin, and Devin does out in Colorado, um, we got to spend 10 days rafting the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon. Once in a lifetime experience. Uh, yes, we took off. We took off two weeks of school to do that, um, which we, we never miss our jobs, um, but it was well worth it. But on the second day of the trip, and go ahead and put that second slide up there, we had just packed up our camp and we had just started down the river, and you see some clouds forming downriver. And if you look down to the end of the river, you can see a place where it looks like the river almost will end. And we encountered several places like that. Well, we turned this corner there, and all of a sudden we ended up in a place on the river where it was about 50 yards across the river, and there were walls straight up, 500 to 700 feet high on both sides. River, walls, nothing else. And as we made that corner and we started up the river, it turned almost black. The sky turned almost black, and it started to rain. And it, it was okay at first. We put our rain jackets on. Everything's going to be cool. Hopefully, we get through this storm. Well, we reached a point in the river where all of a sudden, we hit a headwind. And all of a sudden, it was like horizontal rain. And it felt like you were being pelted with rocks. And then I looked around, and I saw this rock on the right side of the, the river, and all of a sudden, we weren't going anywhere. And if anything, we were being blown back upstream. So we're kind of in this situation. We're getting pelted. We're getting blown back up the river. And I turned around and looked at our guide, and I said, Zach, we're not going anywhere, are we? He said, nope. And, and on this river, as wide as it is, on the sides, a lot of times there are eddies. And what eddies are is it's the streams going the other direction. So all of a sudden, we hit a, an eddy took us back up the stream, pushed us out in the current. And so we were just going in this circle. At that point, I decided, all right, not going to be very much fun today. Pulled my hat down, put my sunglasses back on, even though it was dark. Pulled my, the hood of my raincoat over my head and got it as tight as I could. And my plan was I was going to sit down on the bottom of the boat and just cover up, ride it out till we could go somewhere. And I remember I got to that point, and I was sitting down in the bottom of the boat, and all of a sudden there was this huge gust of wind, and I saw Zach's guide map go flying by, had a Mr. Miyagi moment, snatched it, and did this, and then I hunkered down. So I'm in the front of this boat, sitting in freezing cold water, getting pelted by rain, felt like it was hailing, and I thought, all right, I can survive this. And then all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a flash, lightning. And you know how you do that thing? You see the flash, and then you start to go 1,001, 1,002. There was no counting. Flash, boom. Flash, boom. At this point, all right, guys, I'm throwing in my man card. I was scared. I, I was terrified, honestly. And, and I don't 
I don't get scared at very many things. I don't get scared at scary movies. Spiders, snakes, don't bother me. But I was terrified. And I remember sitting there, and I don't know if I was doing this out loud or not. It was too loud for anybody to hear it. I was simply praying, Jesus, don't let me get struck by lightning. I don't want to die getting struck by lightning on this river. And, I, and that's all I did. I just repeated it over and over and over. I was terrified in a storm. And I'm a, I'm a lifetime Kansas boy, and I've been through some storms. But this storm was different. We could go nowhere. We were stuck on this river. And I was terrified. We did make it. Show them just that last picture real quick, and we'll go on. We did make it. We survived. This is after the storm we made it and that's where we are today um, we're in Matthew chapter 14 verse 22 and I want to do something a little bit different today I, I want to ask you just to for a second if you would just close your eyes and I'm going to read this story to you and it's a very familiar story I'm going to read it to you and I just want you to in your mind's eye see what's going on in this story Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way away from the land, being beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand. And took hold of him, saying, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now there's a lot in that story, and it's a great story. I love this story. Um, if, if we could just look back before this in chapter 12, or chapter 14 of, of Matthew, we see some context. Jesus has just been told about the death of John the Baptist. And he's in a situation where he's been preaching, and he then performs the miracle of feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, which that was pretty cool too. And what he does is he puts the disciples in the boat, and he's sending them off somewhere else while he stays and sends the crowd away. Now, it seems that, that whole scenario seems a little odd, but I think Jesus is setting up a situation to be involved in the lives of his disciples and let them see him in a different way. They're out on the sea now, and they're stuck in this storm, and I identify with that now. I read this story in a completely different way now, after being through that storm. And what they see is Jesus walking to them on the water. And they were afraid. They were afraid. And then we see the, the interaction between Jesus and Peter, where Peter wants to get out of the boat and walk to Jesus, and he does. But then as he gets close... He gets distracted, and then they get back to the boat, and they worship Jesus. Now, I really want to speak to you about just one main thing today, but I'm going to, I want to do a couple things. I want to look at the characters in this story. Um, 
The first one, obviously, is Jesus. Jesus is the, the main character in the story. He's the star of the show. And what we see is Jesus walking on the water. And we know some things about Jesus, right? Son of God, Messiah, could perform miracles. Um, a lot of amazing things about Jesus. But I want to point to three specific things in this story that I think are important about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is a life changer. Um, when he sent the disciples off in the boat, I think he knew exactly why he was doing that. I think he knew he wanted to be involved in Peter's life at this time and this place for a specific reason. To try to mold and shape Peter for something that was coming in the future. He's a life changer. Jesus is a life changer. He wants to be involved in people's lives to bring about change. It's always interesting to me that, is that he invited Peter to get out of the boat. You know, when Peter said, hey, I want to come out and walk on the water with you, Jesus could have easily said, no, I, I just wanted to show you this. But it wasn't, that wasn't enough. He wanted Peter to be involved in what he was doing. Um, second thing I see about Jesus in this is he had power over science and nature. That always fascinates me. Um, never have, probably never will, see someone walk on water. Scientifically, it doesn't work. The human body in the upright position is too dense to stay on top of water. It will automatically sink every time. Now, I'll admit, there are some people who can, if they lay out flat, they have a chance to stay on top of the water. But someone standing up and taking steps on water, scientifically, that won't happen. But Jesus had the power to change those rules. Um, he also had, the, obviously, the power over nature. When Jesus got in the boat, the storm stopped. So Jesus has that power. The third thing, and this is really where I want to focus you today is Jesus is a rescuer. You know, when Peter got out of the boat and he was walking to Jesus and he got distracted by the wind and he started to sink, Jesus stretched out a hand and lifted him up. And I want you to focus on seeing the hand of Jesus and him being a rescuer. Just to step off to the side a little bit, I really believe that's an absolutely fantastic picture of what grace is. I, I just, as I read that, I would read it over and over, and as I was preparing, Jesus reaching out to us. I think Peter was living in God's grace, in Jesus' grace, when he was walking on the water. But then when he got distracted and failed and fell, there was a hand reaching out, and that was God's grace as well. So I want you to see that as, as the grace of God working in our lives. Um, secondly, let's look at Peter. Peter got out of the boat. Now, we know about Peter, right? Most of the time when people preach about this sermon, it's usually about doubt or being distracted. Um, but I really like Peter. Peter is kind of a, this awesome character. But we know some things, right? Peter spoke and acted before he thought about it. And, and I can do that sometimes. I'm pretty good at sticking my foot in my mouth sometimes. But Peter would speak and act before he thought. We see in this story that he doubted. He doubted even before he got out of the boat. He said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. That wasn't a, hey, Jesus, it's you. I know. I want to be out there with you. There was doubt in his question to Jesus. 
Um, but here's the part I love about Peter. He was a risk taker. I mean, who else would have thought to get out of the boat? I would have never thought of that. Peter was a risk taker. He got out of the boat. And Jesus knew that he could use that if he got it channeled in the right direction. We know that, Jesus, uh, that Peter became a part of Jesus' inner circle. There were the 12 apostles. Then there were Peter, James, and John, who Jesus spent a significant amount of time with and really tried to change and train in their lives. Um, so he became a, a very close friend of Jesus. Um, we know he became a pillar in the church. We know that later on, on the day of Pentecost, Peter was the one who stood up and preached, and 3,000 souls were saved. Um, so Peter had that, that risk-taking mentality. Um, the last characters in the story, we don't talk about these people very often. They were the others in the boat. You know, there were the other disciples that stayed in the boat and witnessed this whole interaction between Jesus and Peter. Um, I wondered, as I was preparing for this, I wondered, was, was James the brother of Jesus in the boat? It doesn't really tell us who was there. It could have been a lot of different people. Uh, I often wonder, you know, I just wonder silly things about the Bible sometimes, but can you, you ever think about their family? You know, Mary and Joseph, they had Jesus and they had other children. James was the half-brother of Jesus. James wrote the book of James. But can you imagine a situation at their home maybe? You know, they're at home. Jesus and James are hanging out and James does something stupid and you hear Mary get on his, their, her children. She might say something like, James, why can't you be more like Jesus? It's kind of hard to live up to, right? And you can see James maybe getting frustrated with that. You know, I got to try to live up to the reputation of the Son of God. That's a little bit difficult. And he might retort with something like, you guys just think he walks on water. <laughs> Duh, he does. Um, but back to the, the, guys, the other guys that stayed in the boat. Um, here's the things I see. They saw everything going on. And they just watched. They stayed in the boat. They were paralyzed by their fear. And they didn't respond to Jesus and do something with him. Um, question for you today. Who do you identify with in the story? How many of you would say that you identify with Peter? You, you jump out of the boat and you do. How many of you identify with the others that kind of stay in the boat it's kind of safe I, I admit to you today I want to be Peter so bad but I, I'm just I'm not I'm a, I'm a calculator I'm a planner I got to have all my ducks in a row before I go do something I, Kelly's nodding her head Kelly's the one who will just out of the blue we're driving somewhere she'll say man I want to go skydive and I'm like okay and, and the problem in our family is this I'm outnumbered because obviously from what I've told you about my daughter Anna she's she's a Peter man she's going to jump out of the boat she's going to go to China among a billion people and, and Devin honestly um, if, if you know anything about my son he's he's a Peter as well he will jump out of the boat um, just understand it this way um, he works at Copper Mountain as ski patrol, and right now he's working really hard to get to this position to be their forecaster. 
And it, it doesn't really have a lot to do with weather. It has a lot to do with making sure the snow is safe for the skiers. And so he goes all over Co Copper Mountain, and he's checking the snow, and he's really smart about this. He's gone to an international snow science institute, and his job is to make sure that the snow is safe. And so what he does is places where there's a possibility of an avalanche, he and his ski patrol friends will go make bombs, and they will throw them up on the snow and cause these big avalanches so the snow's safe. He's a risk taker. He gets out of the boat, and he does stuff. So I'm outnumbered in my family. Um, so that's the story. Those are the characters. And this is the and then moment. Um, and I really just want to, I, I want to impress on you one idea really quickly. That, and this is the takeaway of today. I want to challenge you to live life in a way that people will see Jesus in you. Live life in a way that people will see Jesus in you. And I want you, I want you to just think about this question in reference to that. What was Peter's motivation to try to walk on water? I mean, Peter's, Peter was a fisherman. He'd spent a lot of times in boats. And every other time that he'd maybe gone to get out of a boat, he knew for sure that when he got out of that boat, he was sinking into the water. He knew that. He'd been around the water. So what was his motivation? Why did he consider doing this? And I think very simply it's this. He wanted to do what Jesus was doing. And it became a demonstration of what Jesus could do in his life if he would just trust Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, I think it's really simple. We have to know the real Jesus. And so here's where I give you the Pat Sunday School Church youth group answer. Go to church, read your Bible, pray. But it's not that simple. Because when you look into God's word, you have to be looking for the, the real Jesus, the way he really acts, the things he really wants to do in our lives. Not just reading to read, not just showing up and sitting in the pew to fill a spot, not sitting down and, and presenting your shopping list to God when we pray. It's becoming intimately, a, 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 intimately aware of who Jesus is and what he's trying to do in this world. Just one little brief thing here. You know one of the things I, I think Christians worry about the most? Doing right and wrong. Sure, that's, that's obvious to all of us. If we live life in a way that people see Jesus in us, you know what happens to right and wrong? It just takes care of itself. When you walk out of these doors, if it's the, in the front of your mind that I'm going to live in a life uh, live my life in a way to show Jesus to the people I come in contact with. That right and wrong issue, it's, it's not even there anymore. Um, I'm sure you can see how this applies. Um, plenty of examples. This affects so many things uh, in our lives personally, in our families, in our jobs, in the world that we live in. Um, I, you know, I actually had this message prepared like a week ago, so it had been prepared for almost like two weeks, and then we had some really amazing bad things happen in our world since then. And, and I've read all the knee-jerk reactions of 
you know, we have a school shooting and then we need to have gun control and blah, blah, blah. And, all. There's all, and, I, and I don't want to debate any of those things. But what I wonder is, were there people in all these situations, in all these world events that are going on, in all the bad that's out there, where are the people who are living life in a way that people can see Jesus? Could we maybe help? Can we work in our community to help people if we will go out the doors and live our lives in a way that people can see Jesus in us? I, need, I want to wrap this up today, and, and I'm going to ask the band to come in and come to the stage. And I want to read a quote that Anna wrote after she had been in China two years. It was part of a testimony that she gave here at the church. Um, and I think it kind of summarizes this whole topic, this whole idea of seeing Jesus and, and letting Jesus work through us pretty well. She said this, being in over my head is a good place to be because that's where God lives. The best part of what I do is that I get to see God work in new and amazing ways. I can't tell you how many times over the past two years that I've been in a situation I didn't know how to handle. I regularly feel so inadequate. I get to the end of the day and I start thinking about what I did that day or what I should have done. It's in that moment of silence that I find an answer. I failed at something that day. Over the past two years, I've been humbled more than anything else. I would sometimes feel the need to apologize to God for not being good enough. Every time I heard a gentle reminder that said, Anna, you're right. By yourself, you're not good enough. But you have me. See Jesus. See his hand extending his grace to you. And then will you extend that hand to the world? Would you maybe bow your head, close your eyes for just a second again? I want you to look at the hand of Jesus one more time. This time you'll see a scar from the nail that was driven through his hand as he was crucified on the cross. You might be in a storm today. You might be distracted. There are going to be people up here at the front this, this morning that would pray with you, that would listen to you, that want to be involved with you and help you in those areas. I'm going to guess in a, in a room this big with this many people, there are some of you who have never taken that first step to follow Jesus. Um, he was crucified on that cross for all of us. And he demonstrated his great love for us by doing that. Will you take that first step today? Can you see him? Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your great love for us. I just pray that in some small way that um, we can see you today. We can see that you want to be involved with us. Help us with that today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.